This morning's reading is taken from Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it's page 609. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken, and the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go with us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you're a guest, we're glad that you're here. It encourages us that you're here. We hope that our time together this morning will be encouragement to each of us, but more importantly, a great time of worship to God. We're glad that you made it here safely this morning. It is a beautiful morning in the aspect of just the beauty to the eye, and at the same time, it is a a morning that many would be afraid to be out and about. But we're glad you're here, and we're glad that we have the opportunity Uh, to study God's Word together at this time. Can you imagine giving someone a gift, not only for the fact that you love them, but the gift that you're giving them will truly benefit their life. And so you're excited about giving it to them because you know that it's going to bless their life. Now imagine if a week or two later you went by their house and you noticed that your gift had been tucked off to the side. You'd be disappointed to think that it didn't mean enough to them that they opened your gift. But then also you'd be disappointed because your gift wasn't enriching their life as it has the ability to do. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Isn't it amazing that the blessings that Jesus brings into our life, so many people never allow that to happen. They never open that gift. They never take advantage so their life can be better. You know, one of the things that Jesus did on the cross was not only to bring us salvation, but He also brought us the new covenant. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, makes that very clear, that it's through Christ's death that we have this new covenant. You know, the psalmist speaks of the Word of God, and in Psalms 119 and 161, And the last part of that verse, he speaks of that gift and of the Word of God. And he says, my heart stands in awe of your Word. Have you opened God's gift lately? You know He gave it to you because He loves you. 
And you know that it will enrich your life tremendously. Can you say by the way you study and approach God's Word that your heart stands in awe of God's Word? When's the last time you've read in awe of God's Word? Now I know among this crowd there'd be many of you that probably just yesterday or this morning that's happened. But what we want to do is we want to try our best to make sure that we provide for everybody in this congregation the opportunity to grow spiritually every day, every week, and every year. I would hate to think that it was said that the average member at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ plateaued a few years into their Christianity, and they just kind of remained there until the Lord's second coming or until their death. Instead, let it be that we were people that grew more fervent in prayer the longer we lived. We studied deeper into the Scriptures the longer that we lived. That truly because of daily spiritual exercise, we were greater disciples of the Lord this year than last year. Now, in an effort to encourage each other, One of the things that we'll be doing together throughout this next year is we'll be studying throughout this book together. Now, I realize several of you are not sitting close to the end of pews. You see, when those were set on the end of the pew, the design wasn't to be that this was going to be a morning with snow on the ground. Usually these pews are packed. And uh, so if you can't reach it right now, you can look down to the end of one of your pews and you'll see that there are booklets there that stay on the cover, immersed in awe. Our theme for next year is going to be immersed. We're going to study throughout the year about letting our lives be totally submissive to the will of God. In other words, immersing ourselves into God. But taking from that theme there in the psalmist... We want to stand in awe of His Word. And so, if you're sitting close to the end, if you can pass down some copies for others that are there with you, there are enough copies for every adult and every child in the youth program to have a copy. And this is a study of the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. You'll notice there's a study each day. It begins with a question to meditate upon. And then... There will be a reading that usually is about one chapter long. And then there will be about three minutes that you can spend there. And the reason I say minutes is this is designed to be a 15-minute study. There will be about three minutes that you reflect on what you've read. And then get out the pen or the pencil. And there will be about three minutes that you record what has been said uh, in the study what your answers would be to those questions, and then you'll spend a period of prayer together. I'm sure some of you will do this a little quicker than 15 minutes, and some of you will decide to take a lot longer than 15 minutes. But the rule of thumb is that we can study individually for 15 minutes, even making notes about what we study, meditating about what we study, and praying about what we study. And 15 minutes a day will take us through an entire New Testament all the Psalms, and all the Proverbs. And so we look forward to doing this together. Now, let me go ahead and answer a question that because of your good hearts, I know it's going to come up because every year that we emphasize studying the Bible together through various formats, you always ask this question. So I'll go ahead and throw it out. Several of you are going to say, 
I have parents, children, cousins, best friends, whatever, that I really want to take a copy of this book to. Can I take a copy of this book to them? If you will, not today. But let us know that you want to do that. And, uh, and these books cost $5 a piece. If you want to take some copies and purchase some copies to give to other people in your family that are not members of this congregation... We want to make that available. We want to encourage everyone to study the Word of God. But if you're a guest here this morning, we want to give you a copy of it. If you're a member here, uh, we want you to take a copy of it because this will be one of the things that we will be referring to in and out of Bible classes and sermons throughout the year as we study deeper into God's Word. I heard, I read a gentleman the other day, and he said... We have created ABC churches. ABC churches. Churches that measure their success and focus their goals on A, B, and C. Attendance, buildings, cash. Probably a lot of churches have. If you'll notice, we don't spend a lot of time talking about how many is in attendance. Friends, attendance drives aren't going to get us to heaven. Building, we need it. It's a tool. But we don't worship our building. Cash, we don't spend a lot of time talking about if we're meeting the budget or not. You see, there's something real clear about the Word of God. The Word of God is what grows disciples that will attend worship and Bible classes. The Word of God will grow people that will be concerned about the tools that are needed to advance the kingdom. The Word of God will take care of growing disciples that will give the first fruits of everything that God gives them. And God always provides enough, not only for individuals and their families, but for the congregations where those individuals attend when they truly are disciples. Please realize, this booklet, it's not anything close to a gimmick. This booklet is a desire for us to go back to what matters. And that is that you and I become or grow deeper as disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. Now, please take this challenge. Will you pray this week about your study next year? And in your prayer and meditation time, will you decide before January 1 whether or not you're going to study the Scriptures every day? Will you do that for the next few days? We still have, what, four or five days before the new year. Will you give some serious prayer, meditation to whether or not you're going to study the Bible every day? And if you decide to make that vow to God, to make that commitment, why not join in? And let's make sure that this coming year we spend some time individually. Maybe you spend some time in your family unit. And then also we'll spend some time as a church family in the study of God's Word. Prayer. Don't forget to continue to pray for each other. The prayer panels are out in the foyer, as you know, and this will be the last week that we'll be emphasizing prayer for a while. Not that prayer is not important, but we've been placing 48 days of emphasis on prayer by the end of this week. And so we want to continually remind each other to be deeper in the Word of God and deeper in prayer. For the next few minutes that we have, 
I'd like for you to think about that holy seed that we've been looking in the book of Isaiah. We developed strongly last Sunday morning and Sunday night, Isaiah, the fifth chapter. And now we go into the sixth chapter, and it's a real interesting read. That very first line identifies when this was written, as it says, in the year the king Isaiah died. Now we pause there for just a moment. That's the first phrase that was read this morning by, by in our script, scripture reading, in our text. Why? First, we could ask, why is the sixth chapter the sixth chapter? And you may say, that, that's a silly question. I don't understand. It's the sixth chapter because there's five chapters before it. No, you see, there has been a debate for thousands of years as to why the sixth chapter is not the first chapter. Because the sixth chapter talks about Isaiah's calling. He became a prophet and this sixth chapter lets us know when he was called to be a prophet. And so normally we would think, well, that's probably how the book ought to begin. Now, I'm not going to stand here today and even pretend to you that I know why the Lord chose to place this deeper into the book than just the first few lines. But there are some things that we can observe that I think are very interesting. One is, we see a timeline here. When he says here the calling of Isaiah, and he says it was the year that King Isaiah, or Isaiah, the calling of Isaiah, and it was the year that King Isaiah died, this was the end of probably the most affluent, prosperous era since the kingdoms divided. Now back in your memory, that'd be all the way back in Solomon's day. The kingdom was doing well then. His death, then the divided kingdom, many years go by, and now we see Judah has finally gained back strength after the divided kingdom. They're doing well. And what happens so oftentimes when our purses get heavy, our faith gets light. Whenever we get in great prosperity, we start depending on ourselves instead of upon God. You know, there is a problem with pain and suffering and people doubting God during those times, but you know what probably is just as challenging to faith? Times of affluence. Just as there are some that leave God during the times of pain and suffering, there are many that leave God whenever things are going good. Who needs Him? I can take care of myself. I can provide this big house for myself. I can provide these, these uh, luxuries. The necessities, that's just a given. And we start forgetting God. You see, that's what had happened to Judah. As a matter of fact, when we look back at that fifth chapter, remember last week there was that vineyard and there was a husbandman that owned that vineyard and, and, and this is poetry that Isaiah gave us. And, and that husbandman was God that owned the vineyard that was Israel and they were to produce righteous fruit. But instead of righteousness and justice, their fruit was not what it should be. He said it was wild grapes. And it was six woes that he gave to talk about those wild grapes. Just to jog your memory from last week, remember, it was the greed that was mentioned back in verse 
11 and 12. It was the heavy drinking in verse 15 and 16. Each one of these begins with woe. They were starting drinking early in the morning. They were enslaved to sin, like, like holding onto a rope and pulling a cart. That, that cart was the symbolism of sin, and they wouldn't turn loose of it. They were losing discernment with a fourth woe, and they were deceiving their self, the fifth woe, and the sixth woe was that they were perverting justice. And so what happens in the fifth chapter, we have, if you will, this setup for Isaiah, the book itself, to show us what the people were going through. If you would have asked them, they would have said, we're doing good. Things haven't been so good. I don't know when's the last time anybody in my family, generations back, ever lived in a house like this. Wow, our vineyards, they're productive. We have a lot of servants. Now, they were taking advantage and oppressing the poor. They were starting to live very immoral lives. But you see, Judah thought they were doing all right. And the reality is, they were reaching their lowest low spiritually. It was in that year that Isaiah died that Isaiah is called into ministry. What did he see? In this calling, what did he see? Notice there in verse 1, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now that's interesting as we read the rest of verse 1 where he says, I saw the Lord on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Can you imagine this vision that he was allowed to participate in? Can you imagine coming into a room where, where our Lord is on a throne? And it's not just a throne on, on ground level. It's a throne with many steps. It's a throne that's high and lifted up. In other words, the one with the honor is setting high. And notice the train of his robe. Did you see there? It was so long that it filled the temple. Now, all of us surely have been to weddings, and we've seen the one at the wedding who wears a train. The bridesmaids don't have trains on their dresses. The men don't have trains. As a matter of fact, even the groom doesn't have a train. That lets you know whose day this really is. There's only one that has a train, and it's the one of honor. It's her day. Now, maybe you've seen a train and thought, wow, that, that's really, really long. How majestic is the Lord? How long is His train? Verse 1 says His train fills the whole room. Can you imagine the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up in this very room, and yet around your feet is the train of His robe, because that's how majestic He is. And so Isaiah's getting a vision. He's seeing something that he probably has never seen before. And while he sees the Lord on the throne high and lifted up, and he sees this train wrapping around his feet, he also hears something. And he sees other beings. Look at verse 2. And he says, Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one, talking about the seraphims, one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Are you open to holiness? 
how was Jesus described? Jesus was described by the angelic surroundings as holy. One free from anything that would defile. Holy. Pure. And to emphasize it, the third time the seraphim cries out, Holy. The whole earth is full of His glory. Many of us have traveled the last few days and perhaps will travel again this week. How much good can you bring to different places? Well, right now, you're limited because you're in one location. And probably earlier this week, you were only in one place at one time also. Where can the Lord, where can His glory be seen? The whole earth is full of His glory. Any of the continents. It doesn't matter if it's the western hemisphere, the eastern. It doesn't matter if it's where the sun is setting right now or where it's rising right now. The whole earth is full of His glory. Sounds like everything's going to be great. Isaiah's being called into a wonderful ministry by a powerful God who's holy. Is Isaiah at this point, is he going to give a fist pump and say, Yes! I want to be about the Lord's work. No, first, there's going to be a response that probably should be the response every time we see the holiness of God. Look at verse 5. Isaiah said, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a live coal which he had taken from his tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. You remember last week? Remember last Sunday night? We studied all six of the woes of Judah. And now we reach the seventh one. Except this time, Isaiah seeing the holiness of the Holy One realizes, Woe is me. For I am undone. You could also translate that. For I am ruined. I am dumb, as in silent, as in speechless, as in I have nothing to bring to the table. I am perishing. We know what it is for food to be ruined. We know what it is for metal to corrode and lose its integrity. Here is a man that is seeing the purity of God and he realizes that spiritually he is corroded. Spiritually, he is ruined. Spiritually, he is undone. And he says, whoa. 
You see, that's going right along with Isaiah's writing. In the fifth chapter, over and over, we have God speaking to the people, whoa, 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 whoa. And now we have God calling Isaiah. And how does Isaiah begin his ministry? Woe is me. Friends, if I want to help the community around me get closer to God, it has to begin with me saying, Whoa, let me grow closer to God and I can then help the community grow closer. You say, I want my family to be closer to God. It begins with me growing closer to God if I'm going to help my family grow closer to God. You say, I want the Mount Juliet congregation to grow closer to God. It begins with me. Every one of us has to have that moment where we say, I'm going to stop looking for everybody else to do something. And I'm going to begin with me. With me. Woe is me. I have unclean lips, Isaiah said. And once he admitted his sins, then he begins confessing the sins of his people. I'm from a people of unclean lips. And then we have that writing, that symbolism of atonement, where the seraphim flies over and with tongs takes a coal off the altar, touches his lips and tells him, your sin is purged. Don't read over that lightly. That's significant. If we were going to give a theme to the entire Bible, the theme would be the redemption of mankind. The Bible opens with Genesis 1, God saying, let me introduce you to me. Genesis 2, let me introduce you to you as a human race. Here's Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, let me introduce you to an enemy and a dilemma. Satan, the tempter, has enticed sin into the life of Adam and Eve. And so we're only in the third chapter of mankind, and we already have man separated from God because of sin. And so the rest of the Bible is about redeeming mankind. In other words, the rest of the Bible is about purging sin. Now, and if you've been here with us all, all month, you'll, you'll see how this is, is tying into holiness. God is holy. Isaiah saw the one holy, holy, holy. And when he saw the perfection of the Holy One, he saw how imperfect he is and how imperfect he was. And he realizes, I'm lost. I'm undone. Friends, Isaiah is not giving out a cry here. I'm just kind of disappointed in myself. He's giving out a cry that is, what am I going to do? I see the Holy One and I never can be in His presence. I don't deserve to be here. And the symbolism is powerful. Your sins have been covered. Your sins have been canceled. Now you can be holy as He is holy. Tonight, we're going to come back and we're going to look at the last half of this chapter. And as we 
move this to a close today, I just want to give you a quick glance at something that is so powerful about this Holy One. Look, if you will, in verse 13, the sixth chapter, verse 13. And he says, but yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming. As a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. What does that mean? Isaiah said, Lord, when you said, who shall I send and who will go? Isaiah said, Lord, send me. And so when the Lord told him to preach, even when the people didn't want to listen, Isaiah asked a natural question. Pause there for a moment. What would your question be? God told you to go preach, even when the people don't want to listen. If you don't know that question right now, I guarantee you in a few days, you would figure out the question. The question would be, how long, Lord? I've gone the first day. I've gone the second day. They don't want to listen. How long, how long do you want me to go? And we'll develop this tonight. But you know what the answer was? Until the whole city is demolished. What? You've given me a purpose in life to preach until my preaching has been ignored so long that everything is destroyed? Can you imagine? What's the purpose? Are you wasting my life? In this verse that we've just read, God reminds him, no, I'm not wasting your life. It's about that remnant. It's about that remnant. Right now, if there was a huge oak tree, and that oak tree was towering, we could cut it down at the stump. And you know what? 99 out of 100 people would say the next time they walked up, they would kind of look up and they'd look around and they'd say, wow, where did that huge oak tree go? It's gone. That's all we see. It's gone. And you know what he said in the verse we just read? He said, within this stump is a seed. It's going to sprout, and it's going to be the holy seed. And when Mary was told by Gabriel that she was giving birth, it was through the seed of the Holy Spirit, and the one born was called the Holy One. Friends, it's so easy for us to get wrapped up into this life and thinking that everything is about things. And Isaiah 5 and 6 remind us it's not about things. And then also it's so easy for us to get wrapped up into life and think that everything's about us seeing a mission. And it's not always about us seeing everything about the mission. You see, what Isaiah couldn't see was that there was a remnant that literally he was preserving the tribe of Judah so that Jesus Christ, hundreds of years, would be born through His preaching. But what we can see clearly is that we all need to be an offspring 
of that Holy One. As He is holy, let's be holy. This morning, you think you're doing just marvelous. Have you seen the Holy One lately? You see, the Holy One becomes our standard. And He calls us to growth. I'm not saying that God wants you and I to walk around every day of our life beat down because we've got so much more to do. It's by God's grace that we're saved. But it's seeing the Holy One that gives us ambition, a spiritual drive. So this morning, I want to beg you, don't compare yourself to yourself. Don't compare yourself to the people around you. But today, and every day of your life in the future, see the Holy One. And yes, it'll leave us a lot of times feeling ruined. But it'll also drive us to the atonement, to the cleansing. So that we truly are ready to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. This morning, if there's anything in God's message that moves you to come and to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, or you've been immersed into Christ, but you've lost the way, and, and you want this morning to see the Holy One and, and to cleanse that ruining that's in your life, Today, the Holy One has come and He has challenged us to be holy as He is holy. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.